everyone. This is Catherine, and I am joined by Violetta Plushakova, and I'm so excited for this conversation today. Thanks for being here, Violetta. Hi, thank you for inviting me. I'm so looking forward. No problem. This is uh, one of the first interviews I'm doing for the Empowered Leader podcast, and I was connected with Violetta through a podcast collaboration group, and I felt like she had really great messages and, and experience working with leaders and just uh, discussing the culture of leadership in general and what we are all going through. And um, I'm just really excited to hear more from you, hear your story. And I know that folks are going to get a lot out of this conversation. Yes. So let's get into it. To start off, tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what you do. Yeah, I'm a leadership mentor, transformational trainer, and I work with people internationally, both in person and online. I do group programs and I weave different modalities into my work. And my main mission is to help rising leaders and conscious entrepreneurs tap into their uniqueness and own what makes them special such that they can truly leverage their brilliance and exponentially increase the impact that they're here to make. So I want to see leaders thrive and I want them to throw away any rule books, all the shoulds and come into more alignment and authenticity. I'm very passionate about helping them truly walk the talk. And I have my own business where I do one-on-one -on -one and group work. And I'm also a co-founder at a leadership development company called The Firepower Group. And with my co-founder, she's in South Africa, we are doing leadership development for NGOs, uh, corporates, and uh, personal mastery trainings as well. So leadership is really a red thread in everything I do. Yeah, all of that is amazing. And I love, you know, the focus that you have on both unlocking the individual leaders, their own uniqueness and really leaning into their strengths so that they're authentic. And then also that you have this leadership development business too, where you can work with those organizations to support leaders and how do we how do we set that up so I think that your perspective approaching it from both sides is is really awesome to see just you're immersed in the world I'm wondering when did you first feel really drawn to leadership was it something as a kid that you were always you know feeling really connected to being a leader or was it something that you uh, more grew into as you got older well, I definitely can say it has been with me since childhood and sometimes to my own detriment. So I was born and raised in Moscow in Russia and I moved to Germany 13 years ago. So I've had a lot of international experience um, just to preface. So people are wondering, what is her accent? <laughs> so it comes from lots of places. There are South African undertones, Russian undertones, all of that. So basically growing up, I used to be that child who would always take charge. So let's say growing up, I would always organize what um, what kind of game we're playing. I would never shy away from public speaking and things like that. But I was always an introvert, actually. Mm -hmm. However, when it came to taking responsibility, I would always raise my hand. And at school as well, any kind of project, I would get involved. Be that a newspaper, uh, a theater play, or anything like that. And I was asking myself why. And I think it's simply because I'm so driven by contribution. I just want to make things happen and I feel like I have the energy for it. I 
And I also think maybe growing up, I had nothing else to do. I was, as I said, I was an introvert. I was a bit of a weirdo because I was interested in stuff that my peers were not interested in. And for me to apply myself more in the role of that, you know, social activist who would do all the school stuff, all the extras, who would... Uh, take take on all the admin roles and so on. for me it was my way of contributing because I didn't really feel that I belonged socially in terms of going to parties and all that stuff so for me leadership in that sense was truly the outlet where I, I could feel connected to people in that way and I could contribute and then later on I studied international politics and um, public management and then I came to Germany to do my master's also in international politics. And then I stayed on for PhD. I always thought I was going to have an academic career. I was interested in structural social change, especially with network society, especially with paradigm shifts. So I wanted to pull it apart. I wanted to understand it. I wanted to understand how human beings tick. And that's how I ended up on the academic trail. But then eventually I also found coaching. I found it 11 years ago. So I always say, okay, I became a coach before it was cool. <laughs> and then I ended up training coaches at an international coach training school. I was a lead trainer. And that's how I was thrown into leadership position. Yeah. I actually, honestly, I never had a nine to five job, only maybe for two months. I never worked in corporate. So I do not really relate to that leadership track, but I do relate to entrepreneurial leadership and team leadership. Because as a lead trainer, I was responsible not only for the group, but also for my team. We had assistants, other trainers who were in training. And I ha always happened to be the youngest. I was 27 when I started. So here I go, like a girl who is uh, more like from the academic background, who has a team to manage. And the spotlight was on me. So I had to learn leadership by doing. And that was fascinating because it felt like, I had to allow my natural leadership instinct to drive me mm. and leadership was not mental. I did not have many role models and that gave me freedom to experiment and be myself and lead more from connection, more from the heart and less from hierarchy or any concept that I could ever have of it. Mm. Yeah. I think you bring up such a good point that when we go into our first formal leadership role, so much of it is learning on the job and it's learning kind of trial by fire sometimes where you can't control what situations are going to come up. Um, I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit more to how did you find that balance for you between seeking out external resources on leadership versus what you just mentioned around tapping into your intuition and leaning from your heart and relying on connection, which was more natural to you. Like, what was that like for you in terms of getting your bearings in that role and finding that style that suited you? Mm, that's such a great question. I think my main challenge was to not allow myself get limited by expectations of other people, especially mm. by expectations of other trainers or anyone who was supervising me in some capacity because sometimes I felt there was a clash of okay here is the manual here's the rule book here's how you're supposed to do it and this is the way versus what felt right to me and I must say I guess my inner rebel came to the surface and I thought I don't care what they think of me what I care about mostly is people and purpose so what helped me find my style was staying very connected to purpose and I'm not, I'm not talking of it as, you know, my personal purpose. It's more like, what is the purpose of us gathering here and doing this job? 
okay, our purpose is to deliver an amazing training experience for our participants. So how can we all put our personal dramas aside and make that happen? Mm -hmm. Who do we need to be as a team to prioritize purpose? And to me, it has always been about that. Having purpose as my number one priority and alongside people. Uh, again, you know, the rule book would say uh, you do not give so much space to a new assistant trainer. You need to supervise them. You need to train them. And I was like, but this is a human being. I chose to see them all as capable. My main rule has always been I choose to see the light in them. I choose for me being a leader means treating your people as if they are already perfect at what they do. That is the main job. My job is not to pick up slack uh, after they mess up. My job is to make sure that they feel trusted. And I, uh, if I, and if I look, look back, people who worked with me, they always said like, hey, we feel so free around you. Uh, we don't feel like you are watching us. We don't feel like you are going to do... I don't know what to make us feel like we are not good enough. And for me, that was the number one thing. I decided to think that my people are amazing. And instead of me trying to do everything on my own, I thought I'm going to trust them. And to me, it's the law. A person will be as brilliant as you trust them to be. Mm -hmm. I love it. There's so many things in there that, that really jumped out at me. I feel like what you were saying, going back to the, people and purpose. I, I think that that is so important to highlight that. Why are we here? What are, why are we doing what we're doing and using that as a tool as well to inspire yourself and inspire your team and bring everyone together. And I feel like that is so, um, such a great example of how you can, as a leader, really get your team bought into the, something that's greater than just like our own individual interests on the team and bringing it together and making it that collective experience. And then the level beyond that is that you as the leader have this deep respect for people and love of people and know that everyone's different, but that everyone's brilliant and capable in their own way. And, you know, I think you just spoke to what that can unlock in terms yeah. of culture on a team is when everyone really feels that trust and feels that they're respected and feels that they're um, able to be who they are and bring their ideas to the table. I'm, I can imagine like that feedback you were getting around. I feel so free. Like I can, I've been part of those environments before and it's just so great to feel like people can really see you for who you are and you're not just that cog in the wheel, right? Like you're actually a unique person who has your own experience and perspective and strengths and weaknesses. And, and that is all part of what we're doing and the why, the why it makes it more important. Yeah. Especially now in the world where we're talking about conscious leadership, the conscious part to me is all about that is about self-awareness, personal mastery, and recognizing the best in ourselves and in other people. Yeah. I'm wondering I'm, sh I'm sure there may be people who, who do come from that corporate background listening who might be asking themselves, this all sounds great, but how does this play out? Like when you have real issues on the team, like were there any challenging moment, a people problem or like a, a team problem? How did you use that perspective of everyone's capable, I trust them to overcome a hurdle? Oh, of course. There were many hurdles. Imagine a training, a personal development training. Those were four-day trainings. We would wake up at 5.30, go to bed at 11 if we're lucky. Yeah. Right? And there were issues 
on on the team and issues also with participants sometimes you get a difficult participant sometimes people resist the processes sometimes they're so emotional and sometimes the team just feels too stressed they feel um unprepared they don't know what to do or there are some issues with responsibility expectations and whatnot so of course there were issues and of course i was never perfect of course and when I look back, I think how I dealt with it, for me, what was always important, and I believe it applies across the board, doesn't matter if you're corporate, if you're entrepreneurial, if you're on your own, transparency, honesty, and authentic heart-to-heart -heart communication. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter where you are, if you are in the military, if you're in the government, if you are an artist, everyone still is a person, a person with their own personal background, with their hopes and fears and dreams. And ultimately, people want to be seen. People want to be understood. And people want to communicate to their leader in a way that makes them feel safe. So I think any, any problem starts with communication. And it's all about how truthful can we be with each other and how we can bring more compassion, more kindness, more understanding coupled with accountability. This is where I, th um, I think things go wrong, where it's like that juxtaposition of being a very heart-centered, kind, compassionate leader, but not becoming a doormat. And then you can't hold your team accountable. But the other end of that spectrum is being uh, a bit of, you know, like a dominatrix uh, to a slave. Like, you got to do this for me. I'm the queen. Bring me my coffee. You know, so right. that juxtaposition to not letting people cross your boundaries, but also not becoming closed off. That was always a thin line to walk. And I, um, I believe that that set clarifying expectations up front, very important. Mm -hmm. Holding people accountable by giving clear instructions, telling them what do you need, why you need it, in including them in that process, giving feedback early. And with feedback, I always try to get to the bottom of things. Why did it go wrong? What exactly happened? And this is where kindness comes in. So like weaving those two streams of accountability and kindness to me was really essential in all conflict resolution and problem solving. Yep. Yeah. And, and I think the point you make too about that spectrum, I've actually been thinking about that a lot of like when you're, when you care about people so much, but you forget yourself and you let them you let other people lead, you're not actually leading. And then on the other side of the spectrum, when you're all about you and everyone's there to serve you, I think you're right. You need to find that middle balance of um, how can I have empathy and be kind and compassionate, but also take the lead and set things up, set expectations up front, give feedback, consider someone's point of view and how they like to be communicated with. I think that's where that blends yeah really come together but it's hard to do that right it's it's hard sometimes to find and strike that balance i'm thinking now i think a lot in leadership comes from being fully present in the moment mm, yes. we cannot lead from concept every situation calls for a different response that's why to me intuition and self-trust are so important and personal mastery ability to be very honest in with yourself and ability to hold your own ground to hold your center it's like the whole world is spinning there can be all kinds of crazy things happening like an avalanche in the outer world with the team, with the clients, with all your stakeholders. But are you able to be that 
even killed centered presence amidst the storm. Are you able to have that self-trust? Because that's what people need. People don't need you to be perfect. People don't need you to know what to do. They need you to not lose your mind. They, They need to know that they can trust you. They need to know that you are not going to abandon them that you will have that even killed presence of mind and that you will be able to be so attuned to the truth of the moment and to yourself that you're going to make the right call in the moment. So that to me is essential. And that was, of course, like a lot of, it's still, I think it's a never ending ongoing journey of personal mastery, learning how to stay centered, learning how to trust yourself, how to be confident, how to have that clarity and how to be present for for your team and for, for your people. The quote sticking out to me, what you just said is that we can't lead from concepts. Like, I think that n- totally nails it. Like we, we can read the books, we can learn the situational leadership, we can learn the communication feedback techniques, but you can't actually lead from those concepts. And we're all people. You can't just read from book. You mentioned self-trust. And I think that that is huge. How do you define self-trust and where do you think that like shows up in, in leadership? If someone is like strong sense of self-trust, how does that feel? Such an excellent question. How does that feel? How it feels to me at, at any point where I felt like my self-trust was on a very high level, how it felt to me is first, I hold myself in the highest regard. I do not expect myself to be perfect, but I do expect excellence, meaning I will show up to my best ability. So it's that. And then a sense of calmness and a sense of what comes is like, I almost feel like, like I'm a cat. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I love cats. Huh? So it's like, <laughs> if I'm like that, uh, that cat in the jungle who is very alert, who is very present, who is very aware, and I can jump in at any moment and I trust my natural instinct. I trust my timing. I trust my presence. And it's like I'm centered in myself. I'm not in my head. I'm in my body. I'm in my, in my emotional intelligence. And it's like, it's very visceral. It's, it's, an, it's a particular sensation. It's almost like, yeah, it's like a template in my body of what it feels like. Mm-hmm. And that requires to me great self-care, great self-awareness. Like I know what I need to have in place before I go in to lead a training. So it's like, it's a lot of responsibility for me to be prepared to maintain that space. It's like knowing what do you need to have in place in order to be at your 100%. So yeah, back to self-trust, to me, it's like trusting that I will be able to give my best and then taking responsibility for putting all the dominoes in the right place to actually be that best. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And I think the point too, I want to just highlight is what you were saying about like when you, when you have that sense of self-trust and when you understand the conditions you need to to be in that place where you're in your body, you're connected to your intuition, you have that awareness and perception, it requires preparation, right? And it requires you to have that self-awareness to know what you need. And I think that awareness can help you teach other people as well how to find those things for themselves. And that is really powerful as a leader. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And one more thing that just um, feels important to share is projections. Mm. We need to be aware that people will throw projections at us 
when we are in a leadership role. They will have expectations, they will have opinions, they will have judgments. Some people will like us, some people won't, and yeah. it will have nothing to do with us. Yeah. And I think it's essential to not get swayed by that. Because every once in a while, you will always have that one team member who is triggered by you or who triggers you in return. Well, then you have a very nice shadow play and opportunity to do some deep healing of your own wounds that are interfacing with each other. But it's very important. And I had to learn that mm, the hard way to not change my style, to not change my presence or my attitude in order to get attuned to those external perceptions. I had to learn that in the leadership role, there will be projections. People will see things that they want to see and they will have nothing to do with me. And it's not my job to debate with them. It's not my job to be liked by them. My job is to keep my eye on the purpose and to elevate people around me. That's my job. I love that so much because I think that that is such a common experience like we're all people and we all do that naturally and so it's unavoidable and if you do not have that sense of self-trust if you're not rooted in your own value as a person like you can let those projections rule your life I, I love all those points that you made and I'm wondering from your group programs and like working with your clients what are some of the other benefits that you've seen or transformations that you've seen in other leaders uh after they have done this work and felt like they cultivated more self-trust, what, what other like external things have happened for those folks or for yourself? Well, one of my favorite things to observe is how people start developing their own leadership philosophy and mm-hmm. how they start closing the gap between their values and their behaviors. So my business partner, Yvonne Johnston, and I in our business together, the Firepower Group, we run a program called Courageous Conscious Leadership. So we developed this modality that we call courageous conscious leadership. And we have done it with people in different settings from NGO to corporate. Um, And one of the things that we see people realize is, wow, some of them, they are in leadership role, but they never had time to deliberately ponder on their leadership philosophy. Meaning, what kind of leader do I want to be? What do I stand for? What are my values? And how am I going to translate those values into behaviors? Because, you know, when you go into, into any corporate or organizational structure, like you have values like on the wall. People say integrity is our value. And the next thing you know is they are not delivering on their promises. They are late to meetings. But then if you choose integrity as your wall, as your, as your poster on the wall, and then you're not being integrity, what's the point? Like, why? Why yeah. put that on the wall if you're not living up to it? And so for me, the biggest breakthrough that I see in people is them starting to take those big self-prophesized values and turn them into behaviors and hold themselves accountable. We are back to accountability, right? Yeah. Hold themselves accountable and really getting real. What do I want? Who am I as a leader? And then outlining their philosophy. And we even sometimes hear stories of people who have done this work with themselves, they deliver like a bit of like a speech to their people, to their team, being like, all right, guys, I've done some self-reflection. This is what you can expect from me from now on. This is who I am as a leader. This is what I require of you. It's like making things clear because so many things are just like implicit and nobody ever brings that out onto the table and it's so important and then people don't have to tiptoe around the leader being like what does she want what does he want from me but it's like okay it's clear this is my philosophy this is what I need from my team this is how I roll everything is communicated everything is above board and it's clear and then people can can join in or not yeah 
Yeah, I love that. And what I'm really hearing from what you're saying is that when you take the time to do that reflection, you're really bringing alignment to your philosophies, what you've seen in the world, what you believe. And then the more you can share with other people, everyone can align around you and then kind of self-decide like, is this the team for me or not? Or is, you know, is this where, you know, it kind mm-hmm. of sparks other people sometimes too, to think mm-hmm. hmm, like, am I happy here? And I, I feel like that is so empowering is when you see someone taking that into their own hands and saying, this is what I believe. This is what you can expect. This is why it's important to me and why I feel this way. I think that naturally has those ripple effects too, that, that oh, other yeah. people start to pick their head up like, oh, maybe I could do that. Like, what am I, you know, where where am I going? What do I believe? Like, what is my philosophy? So I think that's so cool. Oh yeah. It's my favorite thing to, to inspire others and to give them that again, sense of permission, permission that they can also step up, that leadership is not exclusive, that everyone has it in them. And each of us will do it in our own unique way. And we only have to recognize that. And then we have to bring that undercurrent into language. Yep. Yep. And this might be a good segue. You mentioned, you know, we've talked about this a few times. People are all different and unique and they have different ways of doing things. What tools do you use in your programs to help people uncover their uniqueness or work with who they are? Favorite favorite tool by far is human design and gene keys. So human design is a whole system that combines astrology Ijing, Kabbalah, knowledge of the chakras, also with biochemistry, quantum physics, and it combines all of that into a map. It basically gives you a map of how your energy works and how you are inherently designed to interface with the world. How can you optimize your energy flow? What is most natural to you and how you can leverage that? Mm. So for clients, I notice it's like a huge permission slip again, back to permission, eh? where they think, oh, okay, we have been programmed to think that a leader must be like this and like this and like this. There are certain traits, especially in the Western world, that get associated with leadership. And all of it is quite honestly, quite patriarchal. It's like yeah. a white supremacist type of a leader, yeah. um, which is so, so one-sided and so has to go. While there are leaders who are more feminine or leaders who are more rebellious or leaders who are innovative, leaders who are listeners and not talkers, so many types and flavors. And to me, human design truly legitimizes that undercurrent, that energetical undercurrent, and it gives people very practical, tangible tools. All right, but how do I listen to my intuition? Mm. How do I find my best way of responding to life? So it's very practical. And for many people, it's it's super, super useful because it helps them on a day-to-day basis. It helps them make decisions. It helps them optimize their marketing. It helps them get more clear on their branding, on their communication strategy of their business owners. So, and for me, when I started Top Live, it was like, wow, everything that I thought was wrong with me or everything that I got told was wrong with me is actually my strength. So why on earth would I ever tune that down? I actually got to amp it up and be (laughs) that even more fully because this is my strength. This is my uniqueness. And this, then I also look, this is what people come to me for. Yeah. 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 I love that. And I think the, the practicality of like, when you can use a system to find out 
how do yeah how does your energy work how do you make decisions how do you listen to your intuition and your inner knowing i think that is really helpful and can give folks that those practical tools to use during the day and experiment with them um mm -hmm. I'm wondering, you know, you mentioned just to like, I love the point about everything I was told I shouldn't do. Like, that's actually like where my power is. That's actually what makes me me. Like how, what advice would you have for leaders who want to sort of embody this new, this new outlook of leadership where they want to uh, allow the people around them and on their team to be uniquely them? Like, how do you what are maybe some ways that they can honor those people's differences and make people feel safe to be themselves versus that approach of like, we all have to operate in this way because this is the most capitalistic, like the way that we all think we should be. Like, how do you, how do you sort of bridge that gap if, if, if you want to move in that direction? I think one of the easiest tools that anyone can use is start asking more questions. Talk to your team members in questions and not in statements. Ask them, start asking them for their opinion. One of my favorite feedback tools, for example, is first to ask the person what feedback would they give to themselves? Mm. What do they think went well and what did not go so well? And if they could go back, what would they do differently? And what do they think was the reason that derailed them? What exactly happened? And what can they choose to do differently from now on? It's all in questions. Basically, you have given zero, zero advice. You have given no feedback, but you have inquired. You have given someone space to talk, and then you can mirror it back. Yeah. Because through questions, we tap into people's intelligence. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And I, I think, too, that's something that it's such a like no brainer, like, oh, duh, we should all do that. But when we're so busy and wrapped up, it can be hard to slow ourselves down enough to get into that mode of inquiry and, and hold back from just telling and saying. And I think that goes back to your point about our job as leaders is to be present in the moment and to understand what's needed by the other person. You know, I think many times people need that coaching and, and someone to take a genuine interest in helping them learn and improve. And you can do that so well through questions, just like you just yeah. walked us through is like, and, and how does that feel on the receiving end? Right? Like it feels so no. much better. <laughs> yes. Like somebody cares. Uh, uh, and some of those questions, they, they sometimes don't have anything to do with the task at hand. I always loved asking people, but why are you a trainer? Why do you want to be a trainer? Yeah. When I was training them, I want to understand their motivation. Yeah. I want to understand what drives them. I would also ask them something like, what do you need in order to be at your best? Or what works for you? What doesn't? You know, not assuming that you know how to manage them, how to handle them, but letting your team tell you and also realizing that each team member is different and nobody, um, uh, nobody is the same. So, I mean, human design is amazing. If I could go back, I would just run human design charts for everyone and I would know, <laughs> oh, okay, this person is a projector. Okay, they need to be invited into the conversation. Oh, this person is a manifesting generator like me. Okay, they might skip steps. They are fast. They are multitaskers. I shouldn't ask them to slow down. Okay, they are fast paced. Yeah, yeah. and things like that. I wish I had known that earlier because then it would have allowed me to 
to personalize the approach. And at Vanderbilt, you have a map of all of your team members and you know who has this authority, who has that authority, who can make decision on the spot, who needs a bit more time. This is just so helpful because it tells yeah. you a lot that this is exactly what you can do to make their life easier. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I, I feel like as you're saying that, um, it, it makes total sense how knowing someone's human design, just like when you know their like disc style or, um, you know, all the other like strength finders, like having those systems and those tools at work and the, for the people in our lives can just help us unlock that level of understanding. And then it makes our jobs much easier to understand what they need. Um, obviously still blending and asking them and, and questions, but it can really help you tap into being what they need from you and, and understanding how they work to reduce those projections and those misunderstandings. And one important thing about human design and gene keys is that it's based on your date of birth, place of birth. So it's based on the position of the planets and how the star fire of neutrino particles was filtering through its whole quantum physics thing because it's not what is called the self-reported test, like Myers-Briggs. I answer the questions. Yeah. And I think the problem with that is sometimes we ask mm, those questions and then we answer basing on what we know about ourselves that is not the truth, but it's our conditioning. Mm. Or there is a subtle layer of filtering of what do I think my boss wants me to answer? Like the subtle people pleasing built in or subtle <laughs> misconception about ourselves who we were told we need to be in order to be safe and loved instead of who we truly are. That's why I love human design because it's neutral and it's not, not so uncommon that when people see their design and they learn about it, they realize like, whoa, I have actually been so far away from myself. I have allowed myself to be conditioned because I thought, okay, I need to be like this. I need to be like that. I need to fit in. And then it's like falling back into the natural flow of who you are. That's why I love it because it's neutral. You don't have to answer questions. It gives you a map of who you are. And then what you do with it is all, any tool is only as good as we can implement it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's useless unless we are implementing it or experimenting or playing with it. It's not a rule book. So it's not to make human design the new rule book or anything like that. It's just a starting point for our experimentation. Yeah. And I love that point too, because, um, you know, those tools are only as accurate as we go into them and as honest as we are with ourselves, like with the questionnaires. And I know for me, taking those assessments over time, like my profiles have sometimes changed. And I think that is because of what I was conditioned to believe was like the successful traits of people, you know, in at work. And then yeah. me subconsciously trying to embody those more and bring yeah. more into how I was operating. So I think that's such a good point is that the difference between things like Myers-Briggs and DISC is, and human design is that like human design is just that neutral, it's based on your birth date. You can't influence it. It's just what it is. <laughs> Whereas those yeah. other systems are all based on what answers we give on the day we take the test. And you know, that, that is going to vary because as humans, we all vary and we have days that, yeah. So I just think that the, I want to highlight that point that I hadn't really thought of before. So I think that's great. 
Yeah, I, I wish we all could could take like a three months detox from social conditioning yeah. and stop consuming so much information and stop doing things out of wrong motivation, like motivation to impress, trying to prove something. This pressure to perform, pressure to do more or be more or appear more successful. Like I would really suggest for anyone listening to take a three months detox from, uh, from conditioning and from expectations. And imagine if you were to spend three months only following your natural authority, your inner authority, and only being in your own flow, not caring about the outcome, not yeah. caring about what anybody would think. Imagine how much, how much energy is freed up when you just fall back into your genius, into your natural flow. You don't have to, to swim against the current, trying to get to some kind of destination that might not even be aligned for who you truly are. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's so common, right? Like I think people, we get so wrapped up in, in the day to day and we kind of go on autopilot and then it's not uncommon. You know, we kind of have those wake up moments and we're like, what did I just do with the last year, six months? Like, am I even happy doing what I'm doing? And I think we have to slow down to really keep ourselves accountable to like, is this true for me? Um, Does this feel good even? And, and why am I doing it? Is it because I see other people and I think it's what I should do, or is it really because it feels easy and right to me and in alliance with my values? So I think that that's crucial. And I think a lot of people are starting to recognize that, especially over the past year with the pandemic and, you know, our environments have been drastically changed. We're just, you know, we're living in our own spaces more and working at home. And I think it's causing a lot of people to have those moments of like, whoa, who am I without everything else going on? And what really do I want? Yeah. And you mentioned the word autopilot. I think it's quite a, quite an interesting thing. And I would paradigm shift on that. I think autopilot is often a choice. Yeah. We allow ourselves to go on autopilot. We allow ourselves to check out and then we blame it on being busy or we blame it on whatever. And we don't take responsibility. And I think responsibility is the key to leadership. Taking responsibility for what I choose to do with my life. Of course, knowing that there are very valid um, things like systemic oppression, inequality, bias, and so on, not to disregard that in any point, but each of us to a certain degree has at least some sphere of responsibility and control in our life. Mm. Yes, we cannot, we cannot control the external world. We cannot control inequality and climate change and stuff like that, but we all can control our choices. What do I choose to do with my day today? Who do I choose to be today? How can I walk the talk today? Not blaming it only on the pandemic or only on this or only on that, not externalizing all of it, but also to look what, what could be my contribution? What could be my contribution today? Even if it's small one. Yep. Yep. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's real. That is like super real. And that's also the key to where you can start making the changes. But when we can show up with presence and really be honest with ourselves about what's going on, how we're feeling about things, that's where we can make changes. And that's, and we have to bring ourselves to that point to really look at things with eyes wide open and fight that urge to check out when things are hard and and use it as a, as a motivator to go in the direction we really want. Yeah, and asking more questions, challenging ch- challenging our own concepts, challenging yeah. our beliefs, challenging our assumptions. 
that's how that's how we get into your responsibility and into walking the talk okay i believe life is like this is that really true yeah is that is that my belief yep. is that the absolute truth so i think a lot of our leadership growth starts with daring to question things yep um oh, well this conversation has been so great so far thank you so much for everything you've shared is there anything any last pieces of advice or or wisdom that we haven't touched upon yet that you feel called to share? What comes is I would invite anyone who is listening to take a moment and drop out of your head down into your heart and then even deeper down out, out of your heart into your body and just ask yourself what wisdom is in my heart? What wisdom is in my body? What do I know in my core to be true? This is just a little exercise that I love doing with clients and I love doing with myself to just pull that energy from the head space, from the mind space, from the outer space, pull yeah. that energy back to you, drop into your presence. And that's where you find your center. So that would be my little advice for anyone listening to do that, do that with yourself now or regularly. Yeah. I love that. I, I personally, that is a practice of mine that I am constantly working towards is, is noticing when I'm always up here and need to find the center. And it really does have such a huge difference. Just, it makes you feel more calm and you know, you know, when you're, when you're mm-hmm. mulling something over in your head, sometimes it just takes that moment of silence and stillness to really come you you know the answer and I think coming back to that has always been helpful for me too so thank you for sharing that yes where can people connect with you Violetta they can find me on my website violettaplishakova.com and on instagram violetta.plishakova I'm on instagram a lot and my leadership development business vfirepowergroup.com and also on instagram at vfirepowergroup I would love to connect and please feel free to reach out and share your feedback with me on anything I've shared. I'm happy to tell you more about human design or anything that we have discussed. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for your time. This has been amazing. And I know there's so much good information in here. I can't wait for this episode to come out. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. It was amazing to talk to you too. I really enjoyed this conversation. May it serve the people who need this. Yes, yes, definitely.